difficulty of 10. And Millens is an absolute magician. He's set up for Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Nunes' an Absolute Podcast, soon to be known as Disloyal Idiots, a Syracuse Orange podcast. With you as always, one of your hosts, Steve Haller. Joining me as always, Christian DeGuzman. And joining us as frequently, I guess, is uh, the, you may have heard of him, Kevin Wall. <laughs> How are we doing, guys? Andy's too busy figuring out what the Charlotte Hornets look like without LaMelo Ball to uh, <laughs> to join us. <laughs> what, what's a Charlotte uh, Hornet? I thought he was still celebrating Top of the table arsenal. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't bring up Premier League right now, Frank uh, Christian. It's a, it's a rough subject today. <laughs> Let's just swiftly move on. Let's swiftly move on. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Is there anything exciting we actually want to move on to, or? I think <laughs> you ask talk great about questions. The, <laughs> the the basketball, a, a fun weekend for Syracuse men's basketball. Yeah. Yeah. It seems. This, this, last two years seemed to seem to be you know uh well we won a game for anyone who didn't uh who was living under a syracuse rock this weekend uh syracuse beat their uh often apparently often opponents uh the wake forest demon deacons on the uh on the saturday evening and uh we'll see them again on wednesday so we're just you know this was the warm-up and uh we'll see what happens after uh after or in in ACC tournament action, yeah, Steve Forbes has been walking around the Wake Forest campus trying to find anyone that might stand six foot nine or taller, just to see if he has another body to throw out against Jesse Edwards on Wednesday afternoon. I mean, it is a proven fact that even if they are six foot nine or shorter, if they're physical, then they'll be okay. But um, they were not, and Edwards went off for a twenty and twenty game. Was it twenty seven and twenty? 27 and 20. Yes. Yeah. So, um, 27 and 20. I, yeah. Steve Forrest is also looking for a way to magically heal Damari Monstato. Minor, yeah. minor details. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the Syracuse zone looked a lot better when you take a 40% three point shooter off the floor for the other team. Yeah. Funny how that works. Syracuse, Syracuse zone also looked really yeah. good when the other team, who actually still has above 30% free, uh, three point shooters, decide just not to hit them. Yeah, Fair. yeah. I think that's going to be your fear for Wednesday is that the shots that Wake missed, especially at the start of the game, you know, those start to fall early and, and it becomes an entirely different contest. Now, I personally was not able to see the game because RSN is RSN. Um, the uh, The overall gist of it was they looked better or was it strictly just because Jesse was going off? Um, I th- there was a cu- uh, there was a couple of things that contributed to it. Uh, first was Wake Forest decided not to hit open threes. It was kind of akin to the Virginia Tech game in the zone, where okay. Wake Forest had open threes and just didn't hit them, and probably should have hit a lot more than they did. Um, if they did, there would be a uh, this would be a much different conversation. And similar to that Virginia Tech game where they were missing Hunter Couture with the. Wake- the the, the thing is, Wake Forest isn't getting back there under Couture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and definitely not getting him back by Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. The right. other the other thing that uh, that helps Syracuse and Kevin can touch more on this um, is that Wake Forest decided to foul Syracuse a ton. Yeah. Oh, a lot. Um, <laughs> and didn't get to the foul line themselves. And there was a stretch in the first half. I think. Wake had cut it to three, and Judah Minska in the open floor. You know, Edwards got a couple steals on entry passes to the high post. Mintz got a steal. Um, you know, there were a few plays where Judah got in transition and drew some fouls. They got to the basket and a couple of nice assists. And it kept Syracuse ahead at halftime instead of that patented Syracuse. Uh, we're just going to stop playing with about five minutes left in the half and see what happens. And, uh, you know, especially in a, a weekend where it was a decent crowd, probably not what the university expected for final, but, you know, 24-5 is a decent crowd. And it was a crowd that was there to, like, share in the good vibes. And so it was really smart of Syracuse and good timing of Mints to kind of take over at that point of the game and keep them ahead by a comfortable margin going into the halves. Or, you know, because if they had blown the first half lead into the break, it would have been, you know, oh, here we go again. And 
just an entirely different feel, um, even after celebrating the 03 team. Yeah, you would think after 47 years at the helm, Jim Bam would have figured out how to have the Syracuse teams perform a little bit better during the middle eight. I'm not a doctor, Christian, but I'm pretty sure at this point we've had conversations saying after 47 years at the helm, there's a lot of things Jim Beheim could be doing that he's not. Yep. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it was interesting listening to the – I was listening to the radio broadcast for a good portion of it and uh, listening to them on the radio talk about how much better Syracuse is in transition. And it was like, oh, really? You don't say. And, you know, especially it's not like we've seen that. Um, it's not like we've seen yeah. that before this season. It's only the like, best form of offense. Yeah, it, it's March. We just realized that this guy's really good when he's one-on-one against teams in the open floor because guards can't stay in front of him without following him, at the least. So, um, God, it's, it's, it's like you its like you just figured out that the most athletic person on the floor most of the time should be the one making the most athletic type of plays. Is that how that works? And in the last game, you should get it to your seven-footer in positions where they're not asked to dribble five times and back down defenders from 15 feet away, like get them the ball right at the rim where they can just go up and go over people and score and to keep doing it when they're, when they're successful. So yes, because finding, because finding the seven footer at the high post is a lot harder for him to score when he's finding the ball at the low post. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and I, I took issue with some of our site commenters who were like, Oh, if Jesse had only played this way the rest of the year, like hello, <laughs> like yeah. wait a second here. Just Jesse Edwards is the reason why this team is headed, you know, home in a few days. Like, right the the one who's been, been the the one who's been the least of the reasons. Yeah, like, apparently because he couldn't dominate uh, Armando Baycott and the the Duke, you know, interior players who are all first round picks this year. Right, that somehow it's jesse's fault that this team didn't live up to expectations like the only like quote-unquote bad games where he had the touches were nc state and where nc state and florida state and syracuse won those games yeah. mm-hmm. um, yes despite um you could also say the uh you could also say the second the the second pittsburgh game as well um which yeah was, and i thought the virginia game at virginia he wasn't very good there and I think he was in foul trouble. Yeah, but, but uh, yeah, that that one he was in foul trouble and only got five five field goal attempts. So you know, it's it's hard to say it's his fault when he gets you know Duke took him out of the game <laughs> because they knew he was the guy that they had to focus on. It's so, like most it's uh, like most teams figured that Jesse Edwards is the guy that can only score on the inside and the only one who's willing to score on the inside. And so if you deny him the ball, you just have to focus on the perimeter. Yeah. And one shooter, and that's the that's been the the problem with Syracuse. And I'm sure Jim pa- Jim Beheim talked about it a little bit in his post game that you know he's really tr- struggling to find another player that can step up and add some offense when teams focus on the three guys that they need to focus on and make it difficult for them that one of the other players on the court needs to step up. It's a shame that uh, Taylor and Bell have been in, as inconsistent as they are um, because it should have been at least one of those two guys. Yeah. Yeah. This whole, I, I guess, inconsistent could just be the hallmark of this season. There were really yeah, pretty much. There's been flashes, and we've seen you know where people can make an impact and what people can do, but they just can't consist. Either they're not consistently being put in a position to do it, or they're not consistently executing. And. Either way, we end up where we currently are, which is going to be, like you said, Kevin, going home next week. Outside of something stupid happening on the the magic of uh, magic of Jerry McNamara's jersey in the rafters now, or something. Yeah, you know, Syracuse should be able to beat Wake again. Um, you know, I just well, I don't now. Obviously, now, Kevin, we did uh, think they were going to yeah. be able to beat Georgia Tech earlier this week, and we didn't touch on yeah. the on the yep. the vegetables this week. Uh, yeah, the, the caveat being yes, they should. Yeah, right. And uh, you know, not at home and not with the the two thousand three you know hype in the air. Um, right. Down in Greensboro, it's going to be its own animal. It's probably going to be more of a uh, pro pro wake crowd than. Um, Pro cues, so yeah. who knows? Now, do we? And they should, but if they beat 
week, the the second, the next day would be Miami. And that's probably uh, not great. Plus side, it's not great. The plus side is at Miami. Miami had trouble stopping not only Jesse Edwards inside, but Joe Girard inside. <laughs> Which, uh, <laughs> well, I, I, you, you would think that they wouldn't put Nigel Pack on Joe Girard again. You, 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 would, would, think you would think that. I mean, Jim Laranega is Jim Beheim's doppelganger? That's got to count for something, right? So, Maybe they make the same mistake I, I would ex- I would No, I would suspect that they would adjust and they would put... They would leave Wong on Mintz and put Miller on Girard and try and put Pack on... Bell, Bell or Taylor. Or, yeah, that's because what I was going to say. Forrest put Appleby on Bell. And, you know, the, the the nice thing sometimes about listening to even the home broadcast is, um, I think it's Jim Saddle that's with Matt Park. And he was like, Chris Bell is 6'6", and he's being guarded by a six-foot guy. And he stand, and the Syracuse offense has him standing at the three-point line. And he's like, if you don't even have to have post moves. If he throws in the, in the post, all he has to do is turn around and shoot right over the top of him. I think that's one and, of the most frustrating things about this season is that Every Syracuse player who isn't Jesse Edwards just wants to stand on the perimeter and wait for something to magically happen. Yeah. And I think that's why we saw Malik Brown start to play a lot more minutes because he was willing to get inside and make himself available for passes or to clean up for misses. And I think, you know, if Syracuse gets by Wake and they play Miami, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see Miami try and put Pack on Bell or if Benny Williams is out there and just force Syracuse into something that they don't want to do, which is, oh, this looks like a good matchup. Let's give it to these guys and take a lot of shots. I don't think they'll let Gerard back him down and get another like 19 or 20 shots off yeah. because that's the that's the way Syracuse is going to upset somebody. Um, I don't see anyone other than the three guys that have been doing it all year exploding for a giant game to lead Syracuse um, you know, to an upset win. So... And it's going to be it's going to be tricky, you know. If you get by it, the problem with these tournaments is that Syracuse isn't a deep team anymore, and you're going to play a rested team, and you're going to play a team that's going to get after you on the perimeter. And so, we know that barring fall trouble, Joe, Jesse, Judah are all going 35 plus on Wednesday, right. and so that's the grind now. But um, hey, that's why they have an auto bid, and that's the fun part of the year like this, you can talk yourself into seeing a path. And, um, you know, if you wanted to get the magic of McNamara, we just have to go back to his senior year when it was a not quite similar situation because it was a bubble team that needed one win to get in that, that ran its way all the way up to five seed. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And then got promptly housed. Um, yeah. Cause they were at that point way overseeded. But uh, yes. the one yeah. thing going against Syracuse is that this tournament isn't in Brooklyn and it's in Greensboro yes. because you won't get the Joe Girard New York buff. Mm. Yep. Yes. And you won't you won't get you and Pregler at it. No, that's really <laughs> that's really that's really the travesty. <laughs> You're and not, not planning on heading to Greensboro. Not... <laughs> uh, uh, hey, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the noon, the noons bucks. Yeah. Um, hey, quick, how, how, quick are, loyal, how, how quick are flights from? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think we have the budget. I don't think we're getting the budget for that either. But <laughs> one could dream. Hopefully, maybe. Hey, you never know. Someday, hey, guys, if you wanted to sponsor us, at disloyal underscore idiots on Twitter. <laughs> uh, yep. So, um, yeah, that's uh, basketball is in a weird spot. Uh, for a plethora of reasons. Um, we did also see what is likely the end of the women's season this week. Um, yeah, that was a, that's a travesty. Yeah, losing to NC State in the ACC tournament. Uh, well, second There's round, technically. There is a woman's NIT, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, there is. There is, yep. And, and they're most likely going to be a one seed in the NIT. Yeah, right now they're looking first four out of the big dance. So, yeah, I think the one question would be is if Syracuse declines hosting the women's NIT in the dome. Um, well, what else is happening? I, I don't know that they would 
be in a position to do that. I think they've got to, if the opportunity exists for this program, I think they've got to take it and, you know, figure out a way to try and get a decent crowd in there um, and get some energy. Cause this, this program is going to, it's not only the appeal for uh, um, fans, but with the Asia fair, most likely moving on to the professional ranks, this is an opportunity to showcase the program to ch- other transfers out there, that this is a place that, is competitive in the ACC. It is an opportunity for players who want to step up and challenge themselves at a higher level like fair did this year. So um, I checked today and Syracuse is on that still on the first four out. They're like third on ESPN's bracketology. So, um, you know, they'll go into Sunday holding on to some slim hopes uh, in the conversation and, you know, Maybe there'll be some reverse fortune for them, and they'll they'll sneak into that playing game, but it's not looking likely. Yeah, unfortunately for them, they ended up hitting. You know, uh, all all other games seemed to go against them when it came to uh, coming in off the bubble. So, little yeah, little yeah, rough luck. That's, that's been that is the rough luck, and and they caught a team at NC State that that you know played well at the right time, and. Um, you know, and, and Syracuse just couldn't match them in, inside in the second half of that game. And it's kind of been the story, I think, for most of the year. They've been able to hang tough with teams, and then just at the end, it's just not enough. Yeah, just not enough there on the roster right now. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it seems it seems to be, a at this point, a lackluster year for uh, Syracuse Hoops postseason uh, hopes. Um. Other than that, I don't know uh, where where are we heading, folks. We'll still do we'll still do a bracket challenge on the site, so keep an eye out for that. Mm, always, so, a, always a fun time. Bragging rights. Yep. Yeah, and when people won't if people won't have Syracuse to put in their final four, we'll really put their uh, college basketball knowledge to the test. Oh yeah. This year. And I still have a <clears throat> pile of shirts going to whoever whoever ends up winning it. So <laughs> I have a box of shirts we'll still sitting there. That yeah. Uh, we do have one one Syracuse team that looks like it's uh, going to be fun to watch in the postseason. That's the women's lacrosse squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very early in the season right now, but they're, they've been nothing short but of impressive, and especially possibly finding an answering goal this year. It's incredible what can happen when your goalies actually perform, and that goes for both lacrosse teams. Yeah. 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 That's so a, the women were able to get yeah. by. Virginia Tech today. Yes, earlier, and then the men weren't able to hold a lead against Duke and dropped in overtime. So it's not looking very good for their NCAA hopes. Yeah, yeah. We'll the still have what Virginia once or twice this year. Where Virginia, the two, the double, the double teams here for the for the men are Duke and Carolina, which all right ain't great because yeah, which means. No. We head down to play them, and yes. I, I've 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 had to remind Steve of this, uh, Kevin. I'm not sure if you know this, but the game we play against North Carolina is a neutral in Maryland. Yeah, the high school in Maryland, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the, um, just uh, just to make it even more weird and wacky at the end of the season. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised with Gary Gate playing weird and wacky. I'm a little surprised that North Carolina gave up a home game for that. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see Syracuse playing in like Texas in Cowboy Texas Stadium, what is it, AT and T Stadium, or <laughs> some NFL stadium at like a neutral site coming up? Because you know Gary Gate is uh, is big on promotion of the sport and you know getting his team visible in spots. So be really maybe, curious. Maybe they finally play it at like a neutral on Denver, so that Syracuse can finally get that yeah. Denver game in because it, like that's like the one like. That's the one team like that Denver hasn't played on on the East Coast. Yeah, <laughs> that that would be. I think that would be that would be a, an opportunity to 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 find that. Yeah, yeah. So, just a quick touch on the men. Like again, it just comes down to faceoffs. Right. Yeah. Right. Like you can't go twenty-one nine on faceoffs and expect to win. No. And 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 that's no, also. I, and that's also with Will Mark having an ungodly game. I was going to say he was in in soccer yeah, parlance. Did. He was standing on his head. Like that yeah. was just twenty seven saves. Was it? Yeah, near nearly sixty seven percent, which is 
yeah, that, an astronomical mm-hmm. number. Right. The, the rest of the team owes him dinner tonight, that's for sure, because he did everything possible to get that win for them. Yeah, and that yeah. finished up finished up right before the broadcast here. And I know John I, I just pushed John's uh uh recap to the site. So anybody yep. listening live, go check that out. Um you would think that, you know, after playing number four and then number sixteen and then number five, that there'd be some respite for the men. But next week is the Johns Hopkins, Hopkins. game. Yay. Yeah. Now, maybe, maybe the lacrosse gods, you know, smile down like the basketball gods did because it is Mikey's retirement ceremony. Yeah. So there, is. there is hope there. But uh, yeah, another, another big test at home for for the Orange against Hopkins, who's currently ranked fifteenth in both polls. And again, let's also mention that like Syracuse men's basketball got away with it on on Saturday. Because if they lost that game like the way they had lost the last four games, boy, mm-hmm. that could have been awkward both at half and yes. after the game. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How much yeah, of our, that how much of that yeah. twenty four thousand crowd would have still been there for the the ceremonies? I remember Tom Wormy saying on the broadcast that he was talking with Carmelo Anthony and he said he didn't come to see a loss. So that could have been very yeah. awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard Melo had a, a pretty solid speech at halftime. I haven't caught that. I haven't caught yeah. that or the much of the post. I didn't catch the post game ceremony either. I, I saw the highlight videos as you did with yeah. John McDonough narrating. Uh-huh. And that, that was he, had a, he had a pretty good. Uh, he had a pretty good post uh, viewing party speech. Uh, Mello did. Nice. Yeah. Good. Uh, good. Well, that's I saw it tossed around in the the comments. Uh, is is he the next coach? Bring bring Keon. <laughs> Like, uh, I don't know if we're going to test those waters at this point. Yeah. Well, you know, is that a, requ- is that a requirement now for becoming a, a program head coach at Syracuse? Is that you have to have your son slash daughter play on the program? Yeah. Yeah. Just bring him. Sure. It's fine. Just bring him along. It'll, it'll work. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> it's worked so well so far. <laughs> what the hell? What could possibly I mean... go wrong? Don't answer that. Just please don't answer that. Yeah, we noticed that we all like passed them comments uh, on that. Yep. So, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, I it was a weird, weird week for Syracuse. Do we have? Yeah. Like there was, there was a lot that happened, but also not a lot, which is kind of weird so, to say. So we could talk com- combine. Yeah, a I was about bit. to say that we can talk combine because I mean, although uh, Garrett and I think Sean didn't participate. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm surprised that Sean didn't participate. I didn't. I don't see any numbers for him. I I don't know, and I think I tried to do some search because I was working on a recap to go up on the site tomorrow, and I've been trying to find info on Twitter, and I haven't been sitting in front of the TV watching the draft, so I don't know um, why he didn't participate in any drills today. Um. Bergeron apparently not only participated, but caught the eye of quite a few people. Um, yeah, it seems he's you know, moving up some boards. Yeah, I think, you know, there's still some clear tackles ahead of him. Um, but I think he showed a decent, uh, I don't think he ran, I didn't see a 40 time for him. No. Yet. The only, um, I see, the only, the only numbers that the NFL have on their website are vert and broad. Yeah. So, but he did, he turned into solid vertical. He was over 30 inches in the vertical and, um, you know, caught some clips of the interview and the interview process. And, and so that, you know, conversations that he had, he's, he still thinks he wants to be a tackle. I think there's some buzz around him. Teams looking at him playing it inside. Yeah. And I could definitely Um, see that. And of note that, uh, there are a couple of reports of, reporters talking to defensive linemen and asking who was the toughest person they faced and at Bergeron got a couple nods, including Brian Brzee from Clemson, who said Bergeron was by far the toughest and also said that Sean Tucker was the guy that was he was most surprised by. Um which of course 
Syracuse fans will be happy that Tucker didn't touch the ball much at Clemson. Obviously, they're surprised. Uh, yeah. But I think the speed was something that, yeah. um, you, you know, maybe they, they watch on tape, and then when you see a guy in person and see him on the field, that it's a different different story. So um, we'll see. I think maybe Tucker's just waiting to do a controlled pro day. Um, it, he was at 207, which I thought was interesting. Um, Tucker, that was his official weigh-in yeah. today at the Combine. So he apparently getting a little bit lighter in preparation say. of the NFL. So it's like what seven um, or eight under what he was playing at. So um, yeah. he might be looking to pop a big number at a yeah to um, because I know everyone's going to be looking at the forty time for uh, Tucker just to compare to like some of the other top running backs. Bijan Robertson, uh, Robinson from Texas was four point four six. Jameer Gibbs from Bama was 4.36. So that's that's kind of the target you're looking to aim at if you're Tucker. Probably somewhere between those two. And I mean, yeah. it seems seems like from what we know of him, he's going to be right there. I mean, he's it's not like he's one of those guys that's either just explosive or just long range. Like He seems to have that full package. Yep. Although I guess Kevin could yeah. talk more on the running end of things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he... He, he wasn't great at, at, for SU last year in indoor, but making that transition obviously isn't easy. I wouldn't. I don't know that he'd be faster than Gibbs, um, but I think he would probably be in that high four threes. Um, I think he should be, you know, under four four. I don't think it's going to impact him as much just because of the way the running back, the whole position is in the nfl like robinson a lot of the draft people have him as one of their top 10 players but (laughs) they're thinking he may not even go in the first round um which will be interesting i think that'll be the one of the storylines in the draft when they show best available is at what point is someone going to say like all right this guy we don't care about position value at this point like watch him end up with the like the chiefs or the eagles or somebody like drafting late in the the first round because well the eagles might not have a pick next year but hmm. i can't keep track of that it's like <laughs> six weeks away or eight weeks away and we'll yeah. figure out who's picking where but but i think you know tucker obviously you know he's gonna have a what what he does in the nfl is going to depend a lot on the things that we had questions about him at syracuse which is receiving and pass blocking mm-hmm. um you know if he if he can't protect he, you're not going to see the field in the nfl if you can't protect the quarterback especially um, if he's able to get that sit down yeah Especially since his first role is probably going to be a third down back. Yep. Yeah. And those guys, you know, and those guys block a hell of a lot more than they run. Yep. Um, but you know, it's it's all about you know you guys know like the the one advantage is that rookie running backs now get <clears throat> opportunities because of the way you know the value that they provide on teams, and so you might not go someplace and be sitting for two, three years on the sideline. Like, right. you know, he might start off and midway through the year, teams be looking to work him in. Um, you know, Bergeron, I thought he would probably be a guy that was probably a year or two away, but it seems like now he's moving himself into position where, where he could be coming in and, and being a, a rookie starter for teams, which is, I think it's going to be pretty impressive when you look at his overall journey. And I think more so if they move him inside, he's got much more of a chance of making an early impact. Um, he's still, yeah. even later in his career, he still had some hands issues. He still had some, you know, footwork issues. Uh, a lot of, some of that can get covered up by moving interior. He's definitely got the body. He's definitely got the skill set to play at the next level. And I think, I mean, as we can see, teams are seeing that and, you know, moving him up their boards pretty, pretty readily. So to to see another offensive lineman who who went through two different offensive line coaches uh yeah. to you know uh, make a name out of Cuse is it definitely can't hurt a need for recruiting and no Berger- and i think that's the big yeah. thing and Bergeron also like one of the important things is that he spent all of his time on the left side so a blind side blocker mm-hmm. coming in a solid one is that is always pretty good um yeah, the, the the big concern is the pass protection from Bergeron as well. Yep. So, like, as long as he can show that, you know, he's not going to give up too much ground in pass protection, then he'll then he'll have a chance to, like, stay. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the third guy is, uh, you know, Garrett Williams, who <clears throat> is coming off that ACL injury and, you know, may be ready for camp, but seems to project as one of those players that a team will look to find value. And he's still in that second and third round range, even with the injury. Um, you know, he's reported having some, tried to find out who these guys, when they did their media op, who they had interviewed with. And the Eagles came up for, for Garrett. And so there's a team that obviously is going to be looking to replace some guys in their defensive backfield. Um, you know, it could be a good fit for him because the Eagles are still going to have a pretty strong front seven. Um, give him an opportunity to play, you know, in a situation and work his way into the lineup um, slower pace. Yep. No, and that's it, it seems to track that he'll, he'll go before Tucker. So, um, you know, Bergeron, then Garrett, um, and then Tucker and, and Michael Jones, you know, wasn't invited to the combine, but it'd be really curious to follow his you know, pro day and, and see what kind of the talk is about him when he gets a chance in front of scouts. Yeah. He seems very, very much in that Zaire mold of like, even if he doesn't make an impact in the pro day enough to like get a call on draft day that he's going to find his way onto a roster very readily and make an impact. So I don't know. It's, it, there's a lot of talent that's leaving the team. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be a weird spot next year. And what we brought in for recruiting class isn't screaming great replacement, but I think some of the staff was pretty high on some of the talent that's existing. So we'll see, we'll see what develops there and who ends up slotting wherever they can. I can't wait until mid April so I can see what the hell's going on with the offensive line, because there's a whole lot of, whole lot of shakeup there. Did we talk? Did you guys talk to Schrader? When was Schrader's injury? I think that was this week, too. Was that two weeks ago or this week? That might have been this week. Yeah. It's it's all a blur. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, speaking of a blur, we should mention the the rapidly dropping prices when you use the code NOONS for uh, home field apparel. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> that was that was a segue. That was a forced segue because we're at eight, 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 we're at thirty minutes, and I was like, "Oh God, we can't forget." Um, yeah, so uh, check out Homefield Apparel at Homefield Apparel with no last e dot com. Uh, just Google them; it's easier um, for all your vintage collegiate needs. Uh, extremely comfortable, extremely um, photogenic, as you can see from both Kevin and I rocking some Homefield Apparel at present. Uh, if you yeah. really like this ringer tee that I'm wearing too bad, you can't get it. Uh, but they may be bringing it back at some point here. Um, the, I mean, all of their non Syracuse stuff is pretty darn good as well. Uh, enough so that I picked up in North Dakota state university shirt the other day, just because why not? Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, check out, uh, home field apparel for all of your, Vintage, comfortable, collegiate needs. They're dropping new stuff, too. They're more bomber jackets and hats are getting into hats. When are they getting the Syracuse bomber jacket? I, Christian like, is still petitioning I, for this. Extremely yeah, hard. Yeah, I don't know. I have not heard anything. Connor, please let us know when you find out. Um, who did they this drop? Mrs. That, they the Mississippi that. State one looks so good. It does. It yeah, really it does. does. And we need some 03 logo. So how about the bomber jacket with the O three basketball logo on it? I would buy that in a heartbeat. <laughs> I would buy I I would highly consider buying more than one in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it, Connor. <laughs> there you go. So I I guess speaking of the O three team, do we want to uh take a trip down memory lane, Kevin? We sure can, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the we we have the two the two people that actually were alive during the O three run on the pod right now. Yeah, so. I, I, I was alive. I was alive. I was just I was just seven and trying to figure out how the Yankees weren't going to lose to the Marlins in the O three World Series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a great. freshman in college. Yeah, it was a uh, you know. Obviously, Carmelo was super hyped coming in. Yep. And even though they lost, that's probably the most 
optimistic loss in Syracuse basketball history, at least that I can remember. Syracuse lost his his debut game mm-hmm. in the Garden, right? It was Memphis, oh, yeah. I think. But people are like, oh, we lost, but this Carmelo Anthony is so good. Like, you know, they actually weren't. I can't think of a, another season where Syracuse could start off with a loss and people would be like, not ready to burn down the dome. And that's one of the things that I remember about that year. Right from the start, people are like, okay, this is going to be a fun season. That might have been different if Twitter was around. Well, I mean, the difference, um, too, was that he, I mean, we lost it, but he dropped like 20-something. It was like high 20s, like yeah. somewhere somewhere near his yeah. scoring average. But he, uh, it was just a fun, fun game. And you're like, okay, we're in, yeah. even if we're not going to be good, we're in for a ride because this kid is good. All right, I'm looking it up. So if 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 Twitter was around, we would, people would have been saying, "Why is Jerry McNamara playing point guard? He's a shooting guard." <laughs> and why is Craig Fourth? Why is Craig Fourth starting at center? <laughs> right. You, yeah, you would have half the people saying start McNeil, half the people saying start Fourth, and then a couple yeah. people like don't start either of them. But yeah. Mc, McFourth was Just play Hakeem at the five. Right. Yeah, McFourth was uh, that was a combo. You know that the fun the fun part about watching just those Jerry and Hakeem highlight videos is those were the second and third players on those teams. Yeah, and and like you look at what those guys did in their career, and obviously, you know that O three year wasn't their best year for mm-hmm. either of them. But when teams had to like decide, like okay, we've got to send two or three guys on Carmelo Anthony, like that's what the other option Syracuse had. And well, so, and, and then if you and not to, to mention like, those guys down, yeah. yeah, not to mention you had Billy Edelin, who was the unsung yes. unsung piece of that team, yeah. Uh, yeah. that was just like it, that that there was such such depth there. Josh Pace, uh, Dwayne, like yeah. with the senior leadership from Quet Dwayne, yes. it was just like it was a perfect amalgamation. Yeah, and they they were adaptable like different style like they could adapt to different teams and and that was i think one of the things that you know we talked about we had a little round table is i think i was driving back to rhode island in december that year the day they played georgia tech and georgia tech had chris chris bosh and pretty talented team yeah and syracuse just ran them off the floor and at that point it was like okay this isn't just gonna be a fun year like this is a dangerous team like when they get going and and, uh you, you know obviously when you get in a tournament like that, there are breaks that you get. And Syracuse played in Boston and Albany. And so they had home court advantage, especially yeah. when they got to Albany as a four seed. And, and you know, when they got Oklahoma in that regional final, they got a team that couldn't shoot. Right. And, uh, and so, that you know, when you talk about the zone, but Oklahoma just took a lot of threes and just couldn't hit anything. And so, um, you know, that's, that's what you need. And then, in the final four, just Mello put them, you know, literally put them on his back and so that he was <laughs> hurt, <laughs> you know, through the championship game. But yep. that game against Texas, where he was just uh, the best player by far in that, on that floor. And, um, it was obviously a fun time. And I think, you know, we asked people on the site, like, do you see Syracuse winning another championship in 20 years? And people weren't as optimistic, but, um, but it's certainly like, you know, erase those demons of the fans that were there in 87 and 96. And um, you think about what that one one year, what two games, you know, did for Jim Beheim's career. Yeah. Because if we're talking about things now and they're, and that team had lost, even if they made it to the Final Four and lost to Texas, you know, what's what's the narrative around him there? I mean, I I would go down as saying if that if he doesn't win that game, then he's gone probably 10 years ago. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing coming after that. That's, you know, keeping him around. And when the pro when the program starts to decline, you're in a whole different position. If you don't have that banner hanging. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I, I guess 10 years ago was 2013. So that was never mind. Yeah, well, but you, yeah, you may so not have those recruiting that's... classes either. So it's like this weird cascading. Right. You talk, so you talk about the impact and like, that was, I think, the difference because as good as after Coleman, Derek Coleman left and Billy Owens, you know, Syracuse was still very competitive. But when you look at like who went to the NBA from Syracuse, you didn't have those guys. 
like yeah. David Johnson and Moten. And then, well, but even then, you know, John Wallace, as good as he was in 96, like he was a first round pick, but he wasn't a guy that, that became, you know, a player that people like an NBA all-star. And so like you said, Carmelo goes and he's a top five pick and he's on the Olympic teams and and all perennial all-star and yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of tied in what we're talking about with the, the draft of football is like the recruiting class, like what have high school students like now grown up watching Syracuse football, like the McNabb era is gone, mm-hmm. you know? So like, who are those guys? And, and like, you know, obviously we should be getting more punters because of Riley Dixon. And that we're going to talk about Dino's failings like there, but that's, that's where we gotta, we gotta go to, <laughs> but like, you know, Chandler Jones and, and Justin Pugh and like nothing to take away from these guys, but like in Zaire, like that, they're, it's not comparable to a lot of these other schools like in what they've got. So, you know, Melo kind of brought that for, to the forefront for basketball again, like that Syracuse could be a place where you could go and, and help them launch and, and maybe these last couple of football will do the same. Yeah, and that gap in between like the, the Owens era, the Coleman Owens, yeah. like that run in the late 80s, early 90s to all the way through, yes, there, there was Wallace there, but until this team – there really wasn't a whole hell of a lot going on. Like, I mean, I cut my cut my teeth on the Otis Hill and uh, Jason Hart era, but yeah. Uh, so like, yeah. But those two guys, like, from that after, I mean, Jason Hart and Tom Thomas had the longest NBA careers. Yeah. After after Derek Coleman, so like you know, even Sherman Douglas didn't have a great like Billy Owens didn't have a great NBA career like comparable to what they were. So like, yeah, like that was a pretty you know, that decade was good college teams, but lean in terms of, okay, you know, and that talk of, well, Jim Beheim rolls the ball out and just lets his guys play, Mm -hmm. but he's not a good coach sort of thing. Um, That same same talk that we're coming back around to now of no game plan and no coaching. Time is a hot circle. (laughs) You know, my thing is like, I grew up on Big East basketball and like, you know, when I watch how he tries to play with Syracuse now, like the way the game has evolved, it's like you did this in the eighties where you played loose and free. And that's what you should be doing now because like, you can't like the back then they were physical, like guys would drive to the lane and get destroyed. Like now Joe Girard is 25 feet from the basket and he snaps his head back and the refs call a foul. Yeah, And it's like, it, it doesn't, makes sense that now you want to try and play games in the fifties or sixties and, you know, encourage team to shoot threes when they're good at it. Like this is the, it seems like, you know, the frustrating part to me is like, you've done this, like, you know how to coach this way. Like, right. Did he, did he pull back Sherman? uh, Did he pull back Sherman Pearl and say, Hey, you know, don't go out and run the, uh, the entire court and just, you know, freewheel it and go like, if he did, that's what he's doing now when we talk about our inconsistent freshmen and you look at them and it's like, you know, what are they, what are they doing? How are they playing? And, and Quadir Copeland, you know, I listened to both. One of the things I did listen to this weekend was Bayheim's press conference because James brought it up about some of his comments. So, uh, you know, I'm like, Oh, let me listen to what he said. And he talked about Quadir getting more time because he said he's dominating in practices. And at one point he goes, well, at one practice this week, he scored 20, 20 straight points. Can and I'm like, first this, off, like, can we please talk about this? Yes, we absolutely can. Because what my first thought was, well, Quadir scored 20 straight points, but he was going against your starters and we know they can't play defense. So that doesn't surprise me. And then the second part is, and then he goes, well, he goes in the game and he's shooting jump shots. And I'm thinking, well, what, when he goes in the game, what are the, what are the play calls? Like, what is the offense? Because also before we get to the practice. Yeah. Kadir was a point guard in high school. So yeah. why are we playing him at small forward? Uh, right. You know, and what does the small forward do in the Syracuse offense? The most they rebound. Stand at the three-point line. They stand at the three-point yeah. line, though, on offense. And, like, and we throw them the ball and say, do something, like, <laughs> late in the shot clock. Right. And when you don't have Carmelo Anthony as your small forward, that doesn't work. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, we touched on it before, like, this team looks better in transition. You've got young 
players that are erratic and, and, you know, they're going to make mistakes, but they also are athletic and they thrive when they can get in the open floor <laughs> and get to the rim and not against defenses that are, you know, the, this whole talk about, well, they're 18 and 19 year old guys going against 22 and 23 year olds. Well, that's why you don't want to play inside against 22 and 23 year olds because the advantage they have is they've been in the weight room for four years and they're stronger. But that doesn't mean that they're faster or can stop you when you're in the open floor. And so it's like, we don't, why should you play a slowdown game against older, more experienced players? Like, th- that's when you want to get up and go and, yeah. and turn it into one of those like chaos situations where, hey, you're going to score, but we're going to come right back down. And like, eventually, like, you know, we'll hope that you don't play your game and, and do it. And it's frustrating because I know they pressed at Pitt and Pitt scored a bunch, but it's like, well, you're also pressing and, uh, no offense, but Joe and Jesse are like two of the worst press defenders in the world, and those are the two guys that are the the back guys on the press. And so once the ball gets to half court, you know Jesse's not a great like rim protector or shot blocker when guys are like two or three on one. He's very good positionally, um, but he's not going to be you know flying over to make a ton of blocks. And yep. and Joe's six foot, and like he tries to cover the ground to get steals on those passes, but he's just not. Right. It's, it's a physics thing to get there. Yeah, it, it's you know it's it's the same reason why like you know you, you're not putting Derek McDonald at free safety in football and saying like cover the middle of the field. You know why can't you do this? Why can't you stop them from throwing it down there? Yep. But anyway, I Christian wants to talk about practice. So we, wait, we're talking practice. I've ranted enough. Practice. We sitting here. Uh, how, how, do, do you think Chris Bell is chanting that in his head? <laughs> it's just on loop. Yeah, because when did when in the past for some reason in the past like three years all of a sudden Beheim's like mantra of whether a guy gets playing time or not is how well he doesn't practice. And to that I say, yeah, okay, sure, but like if that's your be all end all, which it sounds like it is, what are we doing? There has to be a lot more factors going into how you determine who's seeing the court than just how they're performing in practice. Right. Yeah. And like it apparently that's the reason why Chris Bell didn't play at all on Wednesday. And he probably should have just he he should have played in garbage time at least. Right, like, like if you weren't going to start him, fine, but like at least play him. He didn't. He, if, he didn't see the damn court. If you would like him to still no. be one of your players next year, put yeah. him on the court. Yeah, that Georgia Tech game, the minutes. There was no reason for Judah and Joe to be over thirty minutes in that game. Um, that was the game where Copeland and Taylor and Bell and Munir Hima, like. These guys have to play next year, and so you can't go back. You can't come out next November when you go to Maui and you play a loaded, loaded field and say, "Oh, these guys just don't have enough experience yet to compete." God, with these I just, kids. I or, just realized that that we have to go to Maui with Copeland, yeah. Taylor, and Hiba. <laughs> yep. As as the right. as, as the starters, not not the guys on yes. the bench right now, as the starters. And and so, like, what have you done to like? help these guys be prepared next year i mean i the other thing he said yesterday was maybe it's joe and jesse's last game here now we know jesse confirmed that this was his last game joe didn't um samir torrance didn't commit to hit being his last game um i think i don't know i think the college basketball world would literally combust like they turn into like unextinguishable hells of fire if Joe Girard came back for another year at Syracuse basketball. I, I think our fan base would, would be the first to start that that combustion uh, because... No, no, they wouldn't because our fan base is 50-50 yeah. on that. Yeah. yeah. So, like, like, I guarantee you half the fans are going to be elated as Joe Girard is back and half the fans are going to be like, what are we doing? Yeah. Uh, put me in the what are we doing because I think, like, I, personally, I thought if you're going to convince people to come back, it would have been Buddy and Cole Swider this year 
because you were bringing in these freshmen and like you're bringing in athletes and Jesse had another year. And honestly, like if you think about this team with Judah Mint, Buddy Bayheim, Cole Swider, uh, you know, pick your other forward, you could probably play Brown more. And at Jesse Edwards, like no, no, having knowing, a different conversation. Knowing Jim, he would have played Buddy at the three. Yeah, to keep playing Joe. Yep. Yeah, or Joe at the point and ask Judah to come off the bench, or don't take him from Pitt. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's just it, it's that's the part that's kind of like. God, uh, imagine if Judah was on Pitt this year. Oh my God. Right. Right. Like. Yeah. Thank God. Like. I mean, not that I'm sure they're pretty happy with Nelly Cummings, but, uh, but no, yeah, no, like, well, no, well, now he's been inconsistent. Yeah, I mean, but that that team with Judah Mintz on it and those wing players, yeah, that would have been uh, it would have been something. Thankfully, they didn't get the I, and to and Pitts also without Hughley as well. Like I mentioned, if they had but, Hughley and Mintz. And Dior Johnson, like uh, we don't know how good he he is, but like yeah, they like yeah, at one point he was a top twenty recruit or top ten recruit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch Dior Johnson. Uh, imp- Watch Dior Johnson's going to transfer to Eastern Michigan. <laughs> It'll be you know it's going to be you know Beheim did talk about getting in the portal this year. Um, that's one of the things that he mentioned. Um, I just. The question is like, what are you going to get? Like, and who are you replacing? Um, I, I, it's funny because he talks about not going in the portal because he had six guys coming in, but he went in the portal and got Munir Hima. And you know his logic was, well, I can't bring in a portal guy to come off the bench. And it was like, well, but you, just you, re- you could have just gotten a portal guy to start it forward and let your young players come off the bench. Like, it was clear that it was clear that the, this coaching staff expected Benny Williams to take a big leap forward and that hope that one of the other forwards could just be okay as the fifth starter. And it seemed like whatever they expected out of Benny, I don't know what it was. And you want to touch on Benny a lot, Christian, I think so. (laughs) Because one of the other things that came out uh, from this past week it came out after the uh, the it came out shortly after the pit game was that Benny was practicing catch and shoot threes. Yeah. And only catch and shoot threes. Benny's your four. Yeah. This this Syracuse team doesn't need a stretch four. Have him practice post moves and dribble drives into the inside. If you wanted Benny Williams to be the player that took over, you needed to develop his inside game and stray him away from shooting as many jump shots as he does. And it's fine for him to take a couple a game. That's fine. But the the disparity between the amount of jump shots he takes and the amount of inside uh, chances he takes is not what Syracuse needed. And it sounds like that starts with coaching. Yeah. Like, come on, guys. Well, see, I would argue that Syracuse could use a stretch four, like a Cole Swider stretch four, but Benny Williams showed nothing last year that made you think he was going to be a stretch four. Like, if anything, you could play him as a three with a stretch, like a Cole Swider, because Benny's athletic enough to maybe play the wing behind Joe. Yeah, Cole Cole was the three. Jimmy Beheim was the four. Right. But I think you could have played those guys and, and... however you categorize them, they're forwards, whether they're three or the four, you know, right. In I think system, Syracuse at least, needed yeah. one more out. I think Syracuse needed a, a consistent outside shooter this year, another consistent outside shooter. And I think that's why Chris Bell started despite his lack yeah, of yeah. defense and rebounding, because they knew like, well, Oh crap. This is like, he makes a lot in practice. And, and again, Chris, you know, who's he shooting over in practice? Because, Mm-hmm. I just I don't understand. Like your ones are going against your twos, and if you're not a deep team, like then your ones should look better than your twos. And if that's how you're giving deciding which one of your forwards is going to play 30 minutes this week, and which one's going to sit the benches, who practices well, like let's just hope that no other coach in 
on the hill does their starting lineup that way. Um, I really can't see Mac picking his starting 11 by, oh, this guy had the best week in practice, so let's just roll him out there. Yeah, I'm thinking that's not how the 11's picked usually. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it just... Well, and when when did this it, become it's, a it's thing, you, though? It's, like, it's you, yeah, it's, you, it's usually how you do in the game. Well, and that, for, hey, for James yeah. Arthur Bayheim, it's always been, I don't give a shit, these five guys are starting. That that's what it's always been for years. What yeah, like, um, like look at 2015, 2016. Tyler Lydon was easily the best five, but Daywan Coleman started every game. Yeah. Dion Waiters yeah. was a draft pick in the first round yeah. off of a sixth man. Yeah. Yeah, he's very rarely changed the starters as much. And if he makes a switch, it's usually that's it. Like he doesn't switch back. Right. Yeah, like in this, like and, in twenty nine like in twenty nineteen with uh, Joe. Yeah, this current like yeah. roll a d twenty and see who pops up for the day is uh, is just it's mind boggling. And yes, Christian, you're picturing well, Jim Beheim with a d twenty, aren't you? I am. <laughs> <laughs> and you wonder why young players don't do well, like you know when they play twenty five minutes one game and then six the next, and then like you know, Copeland didn't play for the month of January, basically. And then you throw him out there and it's like, okay, go now go do something against top 25 teams. It's mm-hmm. like, well, he's not doing well in games. Well, gee, you know, maybe he should have played earlier in the year. And like, uh, so when I look back at some of those minutes and, and looked at when guys played, it's like, oh God, like, you know, we talk about using the bench and people think like, oh, you, you know, the people, Syracuse fans assume like if a player comes off the bench for Syracuse, they need to play like 20 minutes a night. And it's got to be like an even split. And, and, you know, instead of looking at most other teams in the country where it's, like, good teams where the starting five is, like, 29 minutes, maybe someone's 32 minutes, and then a bunch of – they have a bunch of guys in the teens. Like, when the teams yep. go eight deep, it's, like, you know, they're all averaging 15 or more minutes a game. And at Syracuse, it's, like, 35, 34, 33. Seven. College kids don't get tired. <laughs> yeah. It's eight minutes less than the pro game. You don't need that much rest. Yeah. I, you know, Somebody go talk to Leonard Hamilton and see how to rotate. Ignore the facts that NBA teams also have 534 timeouts per game. Yeah. I mean, I feel and, like half the time college does too. I, well, I just love that argument because you watch you watch the NBA Finals and Jason Tatum did not play like 48 minutes because they know like you cannot get the effectiveness even in the most important games like. You need to give your players some rest because it, that final ten minutes is when you want them to yeah. be at their best, not sucking wind and struggling to get and to the I, end. I, I've always held the, uh, I've always held the conclusion that you do not need to watch an NBA game um, until there is four minutes left in the game, and if the lead yeah. is ten or more after with four minutes left in the game, then you don't need to watch the game at all. Yeah. It doesn't matter what happens in between for the first. 44 minutes yeah. of that game. College is, a lot, college is a lot different, but like yeah. for the NBA, we've already seen two 25-plus point comebacks in the NBA this year, so like, it does not matter. Insanity. And that, and that holds true for the playoffs as well. Yeah. So, hopefully, like, there are some guys in Syracuse to have a good couple days of practice before Wednesday. And- <laughs> Man, who knows? Maybe, maybe this who, is John who's getting Bullock the most, who's getting the most outlandish Denny's Denny's order in Greensboro? Hema. Poof. You think Hema? He seems he seems like he throw it back. Who's the who's the who's the guy who's getting Waffle House instead of Denny's <laughs> in Greensboro? <laughs> Not Jim Bayham. Probably, probably the Virginia guys. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Brown and Taylor. Brown and Taylor are like, oh yeah. yeah, they know they know the spots. Yep. Well, I think we've somehow managed to talk for an hour about Syracuse athletics, even after that week. Yeah, yeah. So I would say uh, thank you to both of you guys for 
spending the time with us and uh, thank you all for listening uh, if you'd like to like subscribe and you know leave us a comment leave us a review to help trick the algorithm into expanding the Ottoman Empire uh, you can find us on our feed as we mentioned we will be uh, apparently as of April 1st now uh, switching over uh, to not a new feed for you podcast listeners but a new twitch channel new YouTube channel Um you know what? I may just uh, more to come on that. Um, <laughs> the only thing on the Noons Magician channel that I started is this, so I may just rename it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, keep your eyes out for uh, any sort of news about the transition to the disloyal idiots. We appreciate you all, and go orange. Go orange. Go orange. <laughs>